Welcome back, everyone. I'm your host, Greg McEwen, and I am with you on this journey to learn, to understand as fast as possible, as deeply as possible, so that we can make our highest contribution with our one wild and precious life. Have you ever wanted to make sure that technology would be something that you mastered rather than it mastering you? Well, today I've invited Brad Smith, the president of Microsoft, to come and share his perspectives on how to make technology a tool, not a weapon. How to make sure it's working for you, not against you. By the end of today's episode, you will learn the one single strength that Brad observed in all three CEOs of Microsoft that he's worked for. The Bill Gates years, the Balmer years, and now with Satya. He sees a certain strength in all of them. It's relevant for your success in every area of your life, as well as how to make sure that AI and all these new technologies can work for you, not against you. Let's get to it. This episode is sponsored by Shopify. Selling a little or a lot. <coughs> Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. So whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person point-of-sale system, whenever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. So sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify magic, which is your AI-powered all-star. In my experience with every business that I have built, including this podcast, there are breakthrough moments, and those moments are often the result of finding the right partner. And I think that's a way to think about Shopify, because no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash greg, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash greg now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash greg. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Subscribe to the podcast so that you can make it effortless to receive new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday. You mentioned having been at Microsoft for 30 years, 
you've seen a lot of both technology changes, of course, in that time, but also CEO changes in that time. Give us a, you've had a really unique perspective between, let's call it the three eras of technology leaders, Bill Gates, Pharma, and now, of course, Satya Nadella. Uh, Can you describe the differences for those on the outside? First of all, I feel extraordinarily fortunate to have worked closely for and with these three extraordinary leaders. That's the way I think about them. The first thing I would note is they all share something in common, something I've seen as a very common attribute in other very, very successful leaders in their field around the world. It's curiosity. They've always, each of them, been very interested in learning more and thinking more deeply and broadly about whatever it was that was important. Now, then you get to the differences. You know, they reflect different ages, different ages of technology and the like. But, you know, Bill Gates, as sort of the world knows, is an extraordinarily avid reader. Bill can consume the written word and not just memorize it, but digest its import almost perhaps more deeply than anyone I've ever met. I still remember being with him in different settings when he would suddenly recite you know, a footnote of a legal decision by number. Footnote 12, that was an important footnote. And he would tell me what it said and I would be scratching my head. What footnote was that? Mm. Steve Ballmer can consume numbers in a way that I've never seen anyone else mm. achieve. He could take, he can take a spreadsheet and he can find the stories that the numbers tell, the insights about business performance or just about anything that can be put into quantitative form. Satya is a bit of a modern-day Renaissance individual who is extraordinarily broad in his reading, but he can also write poetry. I remember early in his tenure as CEO of Microsoft, we were visiting the president of Finland, and we were a few minutes away from his residence, and it was clear we were going to get there early, so we were all in the back of a van. We thought, well, we better pull over and stop for five minutes before we get there early. And yeah. we had the government affairs leader for Microsoft from Finland, and in those five minutes, Satya just casually turned to him and said, who's the most famous poet in the history of Finland? Oh, and what did he write about? And, and who's the most famous literary author? And how do the people in Finland think about China? And what's happening with residential real estate prices in Helsinki? And what does that mean about the economy? And it just went on and on. And I sat there thinking to myself as I watched our government affairs person quite adeptly answer all these questions, wow. If I were asked each of these questions about the United States or Seattle, I'm not sure I would have all of them at the tip of my tongue, hmm. but just the range of that curiosity, that is an extraordinary talent. It is a strength. And I think for any person who really wants to contemplate what it will take to be successful in their life and have a rewarding life, nurture curiosity. I think that is just a fundamental lesson that I've drawn from working with these individuals. How did that curiosity show up in 
meetings with you, with the executive team? Did it show up in what ways? Curiosity best shows up when people are asking questions and listening to answers. It goes to a little bit why I like Bing, your chat GPT. You can ask it more questions. Anytime you can ask anyone or anything more questions, you can pursue your curiosity in a much more robust way and use it to take your curiosity to some degree where it leads you. You have to listen to the answers as well. Otherwise, it's sort of a one-sided conversation that's not very enlightening. And over time, cultural norms have evolved. At Microsoft in the 1990s, when I joined, questions would sort of take the form of arguments. Somebody would say something. Somebody else would say, well, that's wrong. And then the first person would explain, well, it was why it was right. And if you really understood what was happening, you could appreciate that this was like seeing a lively family argue with their loved ones. <laughs> but if you didn't enjoy that kind of environment, it was not nearly as inclusive or as welcoming as I think we quite rightly seek to advance today. Mm -hmm. The first week that Satya became CEO in 2014, he brought a book to the Friday meeting of our senior leadership team. And like a lot of books, the title tells the story. It was called The Art of Nonviolent Communications. How to draw people in by asking them more questions, by putting them at ease, by meeting them where they are, and really listening. And, you know, every day I try to think about where we've come from and where we are today. And every day, I think it's a little bit of a challenge when you are trying to get so much done, when you're working in a high-stress environment, it, you'll have to not just remind yourself, but kick yourself to try to be your best self. And you have to accept, at least I do, when I get in my car to go home at night, that I probably had several moments during the day when I fell short of what I would have aspired to be. But the more one can aim for a high bar, I think the better off one is. There's a relationship really between how busy we are and the quality of the communication we have with other people. This moment about Satya bringing nonviolent communication, I know this book well, and, and it's part of the research that I'm doing right now about the challenges of people understanding each other, especially in a fast-paced environment. Have you seen it change the way that the team makes decisions and wrestles with issues? Has it translated? It certainly has at Microsoft. I think we're a different company culturally yeah, than we were a decade or two before. It doesn't mean that everyone always gets it right, but it's really important to set a norm, a standard that encourages people to interact with each other in a certain way. And this one does. I mean, and you know, I, the title does say it all. all I mean, yeah, it does. I mean, you know, there's a lot to be said for clear, direct, firm, but gentle communications. And equally, as you put it, and I agree so strongly, the biggest challenge often is the shortness of time mm -hmm. and the pressure to make decisions quickly and get mm -hmm. things done. Can you capture the contrast you're describing an example? like a story of what it looked like at the worst moment. Go back 20 years, an actual encounter you had when you said, 
this is the dark side of this kind of brutal but candid debating way of communicating. Well, there, you know, it was common folklore 20 or 30 or 40 years ago at Microsoft that one would say something and the response would be, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Yes. Was that, that was, true for you? Did you experience that? Oh, sure. I mean, it was sort of a badge of honor. And, you know, and look, yeah, I always took it as I know that isn't meant literally. I think once or twice I said, are you sure? I think I said something stupider than this just yesterday, didn't I? And, and, and believe me, that's what I always found in those years. You could instantly diffuse a tense moment with a sense of humor. And even somebody like Bill Gates, who you know, has been known to utter that phrase, not in his current day, but 20 or 30 years ago, sure. was the first to laugh at himself whenever you mm. did that. And so that's what made it work, at least for me. It sounds like for those that could interpret what those words really meant. Exactly. It required that kind of interpretation. Maybe it was a little bit like one sees anywhere. You need to speak a new language. And if you haven't yet learned the language, it is right. jarring. So right. yeah, that was, that was an issue. Look, we shouldn't pretend that every day is a day in wonderland anywhere. I mean, we sure. all have our bad moments. Everybody's entitled, in my view, to have a bad day. You're just not entitled to have a bad day every day. Yep. And when we have our good moments, people really dive in and they ask each other questions in a way that I think rightly challenges us each to think more deeply or broadly, but does it with the power of questions and conversation rather than a tone or a comment that could appear dismissive. And that would, for most people, most of the time, shut them down. That, to me, is what one always needs to try to avoid. And one then needs to step back and, you know, I look, look at myself and, you know, I, it's not unusual for me to leave a meeting and think, wow, I, I didn't handle that particular part of the conversation quite as well as I wish I had. You're saying, in other words, if we did a 360 on you right now, we might still get some of this feedback saying, oh, Brad, he's a bit rough. He's got some of the old Microsoft with him still. Is this what you're saying? I don't think you'd find me uttering the phrases that were uttered 20 years ago <laughs> because I, I didn't utter them 20 years ago. Yes, it wasn't um, part of your DNA then. Yeah, it, but hey, I mean, it's, I'm, I'm never going to claim perfection for sure. If I'm seeing the faults in myself, I'm willing to bet others are too. You know, I, I do. To me, what it points to, and it's another lesson that we sort of talk about in our book, but not quite this precise way, but we do in general. One of the fascinating things I find about human nature is that most people, most of the time, actually like the way they look in the mirror, but hate the way they look in photographs. Mm. Why is that? And mm. I think it captures the reality that we don't look quite as good to other people as we do to ourselves. So that's just a long way of saying, yeah, I'm, I'm guessing you can find some folks around here that would be very good at critiquing my shortcomings because I'm certainly incapable of doing it <laughs> myself. So they must see it even better than me. But this is a, an interesting subject matter to be on, an unintended one, but an interesting one, because I was just reading a fascinating analysis of learning. The article was making the case that our most sophisticated learning, the most impressive learning we do happens before we've entered any formal education because we have learned 
movement, you know, and anyone who's had a stroke understands, yeah, that's like extremely challenging to get back. And the same for language. We have gone from only nonverbal language to verbal language. These are massive changes in our capacity. The words we use, those are tools and weapons too. And one could argue they're the most advanced of all the technologies, even though we would never think of them in these ways. We think only of the latest technology, and AI, of course, is a theme golden thread through our conversation today. But somehow this taken-for-granted ability still, even here at Microsoft, cutting-edge technologies still represents a, a massive challenge and opportunity. Does that seem fair? I think it's not only fair, it helps to some degree, pulling the threads of this conversation together. Yes. Because fundamentally what we're talking about is the role of language. And one of the things mm -hmm. that Satya Nadella has commented on is he thinks of language as an invention to help people understand the world, first mm -hmm. of all. So we use language so we can explain the world to ourselves and to each other, and we can pass it down in written form to those who come after us. And in that sense, as Satya has pointed out, is a software engineer might most, most naturally think language is sort of software for the brain. The brain mm -hmm. is the hardware, language is software. Mm -hmm. And then you think about AI. You know, what we're really talking about in 2023 is it's called a large language model. Yes. It is a model that is trained based on all of the languages and all of the linguistic material, the words of the world. And so if language was invented to help us understand the world, it actually makes common sense that a large language model fueling artificial intelligence would create a new form of computing that can help humanity understand the world even better. That is what we are working with. That's the magic, even though it's not magic, it's really just math. That is the potential harm, because as you then take us back to thinking about, words can be used to help, words can be used to hurt. Language, a large language model, does that at a greater scale, perhaps, than ever. The Tower of Babel example. I often thought about that story as being, well, it has to be literal separation of languages. This somehow, this spontaneous mythological shift that overnight everyone is speaking literally a different language. It's totally unnecessary that people are speaking a new language. We can lose the ability to understand each other while we're still speaking the same language. You can speak to someone who speaks a different language to you. And if your intent is to understand each other, you can work through the differences and barriers of communication. And so clearly there is another form of language, let's call it the language of understanding, that both precedes spoken language, is more important than spoken language, can be infiltrated negatively. If somebody's contentious with each other, suddenly all of that ability to understand each other is shot and disappears, gone. And, and it seems like AI is now firmly in that space. And so it can be used to accelerate massively our understanding of the world and then potentially, therefore, each other, but also where there are errors in it that aren't obvious to people 
can help us misunderstand each other and the world in ways that we do not yet know how they'll be. Think world of war of the worlds on the radio where everyone thinks it's literal. Like I think we're in that kind of inflection. It's affecting the way we actually communicate and understand ourselves and the world around. It is a, a tool and surely can also be a weapon. I think in short, it is our role and it is our responsibility as a tech company to do everything we can to advance the good things that it can do. And equally, to have our eyes wide open about what can go wrong and to create guardrails to keep that from happening. We need to think of both sides of this coin at the same time and pursue this with utter determination. Love that period and exclamation mark. I think the same for everyone listening to this. It's the same responsibility each of us have individually to do the same thing. And yet, nevertheless, you do, Brad, and, and those you work with have a disproportionate responsibility because these technologies are so massive now. I think they are, in many cases, greater than just the individual's ability to manage that level. Okay, thank you for being on the podcast and being with me today. Thank you. Thank you. Well, there we have it. The end of part two of this interview with Brad Smith, the president of Microsoft. What was your insight? What is one thing that you can do differently as a result of listening to this conversation? For me, it's going to be being curious with every person I meet today. And who is one person that you can share this with so that you can continue the conversation after the conversation has passed? I'm going to post this on social media. So that's my commitment here. Well, thank you, really. Thank you for listening. And I'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you wanna learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.